Hello everyone and welcome to our podcast where we'll be looking at advisor concerns elsewhere in the world and taking a deep dive into a subject I'm regularly asked about, wealth transfer. Is it an opportunity or a nightmare? I'm Georgina Smith and it's my privilege to look after the innate distribution and client servicing team. Um, now it's my absolute great pleasure to introduce to you my friend and industry colleague Gillian Hepburn. Gillian has over 30 years experience in financial services as the head of UK intermediary solutions at Schroders. She is also a non-executive director on the boards of Benchmark Capital and Core Labs. Gillian is also a member of the advisory board for women in asset servicing and was named as woman of the year investments at the professional advisor women in finance awards 2021. Prior to joining Schroders, Gillian had an extensive career at Standard Life, followed by consultancy positions with a range of platform providers, asset managers, and of course, financial advisors. At Schroders, Gillian is responsible for uh, investment solutions for the UK intermediary channel, which includes Schroders investment solutions and an award-winning range of model portfolios and multi-asset funds. Wow, Gillian, so great to have you on this show. Thank you very much for joining me today. I'm so delighted to be joining you. <laughs> Thank you for that. And it's great to see you. I know, I know it's a little chilly over in the UK at the moment. So uh, thank yeah. you for, for wrapping up warm and, and getting out getting out there to see me. But Gillian, one of the real value adds that I know Schroders give to their UK advisors is an analysis via a comprehensive survey of what yeah. UK advisors are thinking and how they're feeling. And, you know, given the current climate and, and everything that's going on, and there's a hell of a lot going on. So perhaps Ooh. you can start off by telling us a little bit about that, Gillian. Yeah, sure. And, and thank you very much for having me. And I, I, I do hate the introduction that says I've been in the industry for over 30 years. It makes me feel ancient. Tell people, you, tell people you started when you were 12. It's fine. Yeah, I do that. Well, I used to say five, but it's, <laughs> anyway, I just hate my work with people who um, started in the in, who were born after I started in the industry. That's very anyway, anyway, moving on. Yeah, the advisor survey. Um, I, I'm really sad. I just love statistics and research. And uh, for me, it's one of the highlights of my year at Schroders. Um, every year we, we run this survey. It's been running from um, 2014. So we've got a lot of data going back. And uh, and this year, bizarrely, it was the, um, the survey that was the most, res- we had the most respondents ever. I'm not sure why. It was um, well over 400 so it's a really good representative sample yeah of advisors right across the industry and not necessarily you know predominantly supporters of Schroders we just go out to a wide client bank so um so it's really um you know advisors clearly want to tell us right what they're what they're thinking so um so it's a great survey and of course when it's your own survey you get asked the questions so uh, so we have a number of questions that we run year after year after year to get trends and then we sit down and think what's happening in the markets and in the environment and with regulation and therefore what more specific questions do we want to ask so it's, it's great it's great fun, fun if I could call it that um, and and when the, the data comes back you always get these kind of moments that just reassure you you know we're all out in the industry we all think we know what's going on so some of the data you go you know what that's great that's what I thought would happen um, and then you get the kind of aha moments where you think, oh, that's odd. Why, why, why are they saying that? Um, so you know, that's part of what I love about the whole thing. So and we focus on sort of five or six key areas. I mean, clearly um, markets this year have been really challenging. Loads going on, you know, and we all know the reasons for that. So uh, it's probably no big surprise that um, from last year, if you think back to November last year, 
we were beginning to come out of COVID, certainly here in the UK. You know, there was um, the vaccines were really having a big impact. Um, people felt, I guess, it was a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. So the, the view was people were really quite bullish about what was going to happen. And then suddenly, sadly, you know, in February, we hit the dreadful situation with uh, Russia, Ukraine. And we started to see this huge swing um, to bearish. Now, if I look at the figures, it was sort of 12% were bearish last November, thinking about what was going on. You know, the world is opening up. Hey, okay, this is great. And that swung now to 68%. So it's a huge shift in sentiment. Yeah. And, it, and it's probably no big surprise. And, um, and over here, we talk day in, day out about the cost of living crisis, you know, the cost of energy and fuel bills. And... And I think, to be fair, a lot of that's still to play out in terms of cost of living. But so it's it was no big surprise. Um, I suppose the other area was quite interesting is we we asked then about what are the kind of key challenges for your for your clients and um, and this year it was all about capital loss. That was number number one concern is, is capital loss. So it was protecting what they have. And again, um, if you think about it in the context of advised clients, certainly over here in the UK, they're predominantly older. They're at that kind of retirement, you know, leading up to retirement, post-retirement. So that pot of pension money is really, really important to them to protect. So capital loss was number one. And actually way down the list, interestingly, was the impact of interest rates. And, and again, we sat back and thought, well, why is that? Because... You know, mortgages are really in terms of costs going up here in the UK. But actually, again, those kind of clients typically are mortgage free or nearing the end of mortgages. So the interest rate situation wasn't quite such a challenge for them. So if we look at markets, um, that, that was, you know, we're all a bit down and it all felt a bit gloomy. However, there's there's still light at the end of the tunnel because we asked about um, how did advisors then behave in terms of managing portfolios? And there felt like there was this big swing to cash, which actually was a bit interesting, given we always talk about long-term long -term investing and holding. Um, but actually what we're seeing is next year, people are quite buoyant about moving back into equities. So it, it'll just be interesting to see how, how that kind of all maps out. So in terms of investment, that, that's kind of the headlines in terms of how people are thinking and then behaving. It's quite interesting listening to you because it's not a dissimilar picture we, we see here in South Africa. I think people came into this year with an expectation there was going to be more of a, you know, the bounce was going to continue. Um, the expectation was that actually things were going to get better. And actually, from even from a mental health perspective, what you're seeing is people really kind of spiral downwards. It's actually got harder, not easier after COVID. Um, as you rightly say, the war in Ukraine, okay, it feels like a long way away from South Africa, but the repercussions are still here. Um, so, yeah, certainly from an inflation and interest rate perspective and cost of living perspective as well, and the ongoing uh, unemployment issues that we have here in, in, in South Africa. So, so none of that really helps us. Yes, commodities have had a lovely bounce, and that seems to have helped us. Uh, helped us greatly as well from the fiscal purse but but actually you know what you what you're seeing for the man on the street is a real shift in expectation of where they were or thought they were at the beginning of the year versus where they've ended up at the end of the year which is actually as you rightly say a lot more um bearish than bullish than perhaps they were at oh, the beginning of the year yeah and, 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 yeah and it's really we really see that playing out here too um 
And then, of course, you've got the, the, the thought of, you know, can we still see the, end, the light at the end of the tunnel? What, what do your advisors say about that, Gillian? Are they, are they um, you know, how, how are they feeling about looking forward to 2023? I, th I think uh, probably it's a bit mixed, if I'm honest. You know, one of the questions we asked back in May, when we start to see all of this play out, and we do a little interim pulse survey just to get a temperature check, which is quite good fun. And we asked back in May, do you think that some of your clients will have to change their investment plans as a result of cost of living crisis? And about 60, 63% said, yeah, we think this is going to happen. Now, we could have guessed, right, that that was the case, but it's always good to put a figure to it. So what we asked in November is, have they started to change their plans? Is, is this really playing out? Um, and it was, it was about kind of mid-50s in, in terms of percentage. But we think this is still to play out. We think that number is only going to increase. You know, over here, whilst it's cold today, we've had the first snow um, of the year in the last week. We've had quite a mild sort of autumn. So the energy bill challenges haven't quite kicked in yet, I don't think. In terms of fixed rate mortgages for people who, um, you know, there's a lot of fixed rate mortgages coming off next year. So people will start to really see price increases there, right? And, and let's face it, we all kind of overspend at Christmas, don't we? So suddenly, I think in the new year, um, we'll probably see quite a different picture in terms of people saying, you know, we, we really need to think about reshaping our portfolio and, and trying to access some cash. And of course, you've then got the challenge of actually, the cash interest rates do look quite, uh, they're quite interesting at the moment, aren't they? But then we've got the good old um, inflation eating into that. And I think what we're seeing is people really having to understand the impact of inflation on their cash holding. So whilst people are moving to cash, is that really where they want to be? So I think next year will be really interesting in terms of where advisors will start, you know, where they'll start to allocate to. And then, of course, in my world, where advisors you know, effectively outsource their investment proposition to an expert, then what we're definitely seeing is more of that happening. It's massively on the increase still in, in the UK market here. Yeah, uh, and we're certainly seeing that also in the South African market, uh, more and more people using discretionary fund managers um, and research investment consultants to help them uh, and really to ease and, and make their life simpler so they can spend more time with their clients, which is exactly what they want to do. Interesting observation from South Africa, actually, um, just to feed into kind of how your advisors clients are feeling and what we've actually observed in South Africa. So obviously we have an offshore platform. I spend quite a lot of time with foreign currency providers. And actually, interestingly, sort of a silver lining for South Africa is that um, they have they are seeing in some cases record flows inflows of money into south africa and it's it's from people wanting to buy properties over here people thinking actually europe's not looking too good at the moment europe doesn't feel great the energy crisis that's going on the the the, the war in ukraine uh, inflation interest rates actually do you know what i just want a bit of sun and i'm going to ride it out in the sun for the next few years and then i'm going to see what what actually happens so it's not as if south africa's got got better it's just that europe has got worse in comparison and, yeah. and seeing that influx of, of brits germans swedish you know all of those kind of countries coming into particularly uh, some of the more affluent areas around western cape so so really a real interest uh, interest really interesting migration pattern happening uh, from the south african side um okay so 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 i should imagine thinking about your uh, your your advisor survey i think one of the things that often comes up in advisor surveys 
is the concern about wealth transfer, right, Gillian? You know, my money uh, or my client's money, uh, or people tend to see, and you mentioned actually earlier on, that your the cohort of clients that see advisors tend to be um, sort of the 40 plus, you know, when they've gathered some assets, they're scared of losing them. The fear of loss drives them to a financial advisor. It's not that dissimilar in South Africa as well. Um, but then, of course, you've got this transfer of wealth situation and there are certain nuances that we have that happen here in South Africa but I imagine the same sort of questions and the same sort of concerns or opportunities if you like are are playing out in the UK as well what does the UK advisor think about wealth transfer so it's a, it's a great question because um, as you well know I've been talking about this in the industry for about the last four years and, the, and it's gathering momentum and also what I love to do is take it in slightly different directions. But let's start with the basics. Um, you know, 80% of advisors over here think that wealth transfer is a great opportunity. Fantastic. Um, but I think often they think about wealth transfer in the context of, I'll just put inheritance tax planning in place. Um, and actually wealth transfer is all about engaging with that next generation. Because um, as advisors build that wealth, they want to retain it. It's actually, we should, we should change the narrative it's actually the great wealth retention strategy because it's about retaining those assets within the business. You know, for a number of reasons, effectively, we all want to work for kind of thriving, as I call them, and not dying businesses. Yeah, so let's protect what we've created. Um, and as you're probably aware, many advisors in the UK are starting to look for exit strategies. I can't remember the exact age of the average advisor, but it's what, you know, late 50s. Um, so at the very point where they want to maximise valuations for an exit strategy should be the point that they've got the most assets under management because effectively that's what creates the valuation. But at that point, if money is moving to the next generation, um, and according to research, 60% of people inheriting wealth will, will change advisor, go elsewhere, um, then that's not a great position to be in, right? So the Just valuation... go through that stat again, 60%, did you say? Um, wow. Yes. Uh, yes, uh, actually, I think it's 65%. 65, 65 so 65, 65% within, within a certain time period, within, say... Uh, well, 65% of people, yeah, inheriting wealth will change the advisor. And, and that's just, like, scary. So I always say to advise, you know, just do a little audit of your business. Just take a snapshot of people maybe in their 70s and 80s in your client bank. Look at the assets under management and the fee income. And think about the property as well, because that also comes into the estate. Work out your fee income and take 65% of that away. What's the number that's left, right? Now, that's worst case scenario. But it starts to build, for many advisors, a kind of scary picture, right? So, so what do they do about it? And, and actually, it's about engaging that next generation. And let's not forget, the millennials, as we talk about that next generation, the top end of the millennials are now aged 40. So we're not talking about teenagers here. Back to your point, at that age, people want advice, you know? Um, and, and people, we know from the research that um, significant numbers of people inheriting wealth want to see an advisor when they get the money. So if we don't engage with them early on, they will go elsewhere. You know, do, do you know who it is that manages, you know, mum and dad's or whoever it is money? Probably not. So, um, so we're talking loads to advisors about this potential opportunity to retain the wealth. Um, but actually the numbers aren't stacking up. You know, we survey this time and time again and advisors are still focusing on older, wealthier clients because there's still lots of them. 
but it's kind of a little bit short-sighted. Um, and the two reasons that they give me all the time for not tackling the next generation is, I won't make money from them, so there's no profit, and I don't have a proposition. So they actually don't know what to do. Um, and it's just kind of too difficult to deal with. And, and then there's a statistic that we talk about all the time in the UK, that 5.5 trillion will move over the next 30 years from one generation to the next. Now, most advisors are saying, I'll be out of here by then, so just don't need to worry about it. But actually, um, they, they do because of the transfer to women, and we can come on to talk about that. But, um, but it's this whole piece around, we think it's a great opportunity, but actually, we're not really doing much about it. So, and Jillian, what are those that, those guys that are getting it right? What are they doing? What are they doing differently that you see? Yeah, well, well, first of all, they're getting over the the kind of whole profit mentality piece. They're saying, do you know what? This is this is a defensive mechanism. So what we need to do is we need to put a proposition in place. So here in the UK, interestingly, a number of advisors have significantly moved into what they call the wealth space and moved away from things like mortgages and protection. And that's what that generation needs. You know, We probably all remember, if we've got a mortgage or had one, that the advisor that helped them with that, right? So it's quite an emotional purchase, but why do we not stay engaged? So um, they're partnering with mortgage advisors. They're also charging differently. So I see really interestingly, some of the, the large national advisors over here is saying, we'll engage with the next generation, we'll put some protection or some really simple savings in place for them and we won't charge for the advice because actually this is about protecting the greater wealth within the family so that's quite interesting some of them are also looking at technology so how can technology really help me to deliver a low touch you know a light touch low cost proposition so there's lots of really interesting things going on but the biggest the biggest challenge is just getting in front of that wider family mm. and actually family conversations and let's face it we're not very good at talking about money are we no I, I completely agree another another tactic i've seen advisors use very successfully is is a gift of some kind a, a monetary gift yeah. from one generation to the next that yeah. automatically opens up the conversation to be able to have a wealth conversation um further down the line and, and gets you in front of that next generation and i've seen that play out very very successfully for, for some advisors as long as they can get themselves over the hurdle of this generation is not going to make me as much money as the parents. That's that's the big mindset hurdle that people need to get over. Would you agree? Uh, oh, completely. Um, and, and that's a really interesting point. What we talk about is um, you know, use opportunities like wills and trusts and power of attorneys we have here and have the conversations about the process of passing on the money, not about the actual amounts. You don't yeah that all the time but you also have to be mindful of the reasons why people do feel challenged about passing money on and um, you know they might need it for a care home for example you know they're a bit nervous about what their kids are going to do with it so um so what people need to also think about is the kind of soft skills to have these broader family conversations how do we just kick this whole thing off but i just think there's so many opportunities um it, it's just about sitting back and thinking who are these families is how engaged am I and, and what do I need to do next? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're so right about the soft skills. You know, so often I've, I've seen or heard 
uh, situations play out. Well, I want to have a conversation with my family, but I don't like my husband's spouse. So I don't even want to have the conversation because what happens if my all my money ends up with her? Um, or, sorry, my son's spouse rather. Exactly. So, so, you know, I mean, that's that's kind of the you you kind of hear that rhetoric quite a lot. Or oh, well, I don't I don't like who this person has married or, or I don't trust this person. They just don't want to say it out loud before they die. So there's these very, very difficult conversations that somebody very skilled needs to facilitate. No, you're so, and, and, and it's a proper skill. Right. And, you, 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 and it's a learnable skill. So, yeah, well, absolutely. but, it, 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 you know, but it can be done. Right. Yeah. And, and also it's really interesting. I'm speaking to a, a fantastic advisor the other day and she said, uh, she just said, one of my clients phoned up and said, could you just speak to my children about managing money? And she was like, well, what am I going to do here? And she said, I got these, these sort of late teens on the, on the phone. I'm, I was on a Zoom call. And of course, that's another benefit. We can all talk like we are today. You know, on, online so engaged you no know, we just talked simple things about investing and saving and um, and it was just such a fascinating conversation so don't assume as well that these young people aren't engaged it was great in fact one of the things we were talking about here in shoulders is why young people are investing in things like crypto and digital assets you know, boring ape and nfts um, and i always use my own kids as examples because they're doing it and i had to have a hard conversation about you know like maybe some of the challenges there and she said but you know they are engaging in investing but maybe not in a traditional sense and not the way we would think um, and what we're doing is doing some work with advisors educating them on how to have conversations with these next generation about things like digital assets because it's a bit scary you know it's, it all feels a bit technical um, and and those kind of conversations are really engaging for young people you know, why are they investing there? What are the alternatives? You know, it's not about wagging the finger and saying you shouldn't do it, right? We can kind of understand why some young people are doing this. You know, they're all in chat rooms, they're all talking to each other, they're highly engaged. And also they're both, right? You know, they've all had a terrible lockdown, they've got student debt, they quite quite fancy a lottery ticket, right? Um, and therefore we should engage in different ways with them. So being able to speak on their wavelength is really helping advisors. So we've got a great guide that we're issuing out to advisors to so have these conversations and then lead it into conversations about multi-asset or diversification. Let's talk slightly different language, but you can have interesting conversations with next generation. And what do you think, Gillian, about, um, because I, I know there's, there's you know, a, a lot of advisors I know kind of feel they can't relate to that next generation as easily as they can the, the, the current generation because they're actually about the same age, you know, so, so, so they can relate to those guys really well. But gosh, this millennial generation that, as you rightly say, is about 40 now, even the next one behind that. I'm really struggling to, to, to relate to them because obviously I'm, I'm in my late 50s because that's the average age of an advisor. You, what, what, how have you seen that play out successfully? Is it just a case of, you know, um, an older advisor getting down with the kids or is it perhaps a different strategy within the firm? That, it's a good question because a lot of people always assume that the answer to this is to put a millennial advisor in your business. Now, I'm not sure what it's like in South Africa, but we are still challenged in terms of bringing, bringing young people into our industry. Um, and it's something we've got to continually work at and address. So, you know, for some people, it's like, well, maybe a younger advisor would work, but but actually, I think it's just a case of getting on and doing it. As that advisor said to me, she's, uh, she'd, I just don't know if I could speak to these kids. And she said, I was forced into it, interestingly, by the mother. And she, it was great. It was fine. 
you know, they they were really interested in what I had to say. Just, but I did have to sit back and think about what I was going to talk to them about. You know, how do I explain things like diversification mm. without talking about that word? Because that found, that sounds really scary, doesn't it? I mean, I, I talked to my when I found all my son out that my son was putting everything in crypto. I did have a bit of a conversation on diversification, which was along the lines of if I ran a beach shop in Scotland. I would have to offer umbrellas and ice cream, right? Because, you know, in order to <laughs> any money in Scotland, you get, you know, four seasons in one day. And so it's all about, you know, not putting all your eggs in the one basket. And he said, oh, I get that. So, so I'm not saying crypto, you shouldn't do it. If you want to play around with it, it's fine, but don't put everything in it. Yeah. Like, oh, that makes total sense. And then let's talk wider. You might not put, want to put everything when you're investing, when you get to that point, in, say, the US or the UK or in bonds or, you know, and, and suddenly you're just talking a completely different language that, that they start to understand. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're so right as well. It's just finding those hooks that that, that generation can, can actually hook onto and understand. Absolutely. Now, a nuance we've got here, and I know you've got it to some extent in the UK, but it's very, very prevalent here, is, is we have, you know, often, and it's been, you know, for decades here, you see the next generation uh, go overseas, um, and, and sometimes they come back, but sometimes they stay overseas, and that's across uh, across all creeds and colours, if you like. We're certainly seeing yeah. increasing amounts of, of uh, various different demographics moving, moving abroad, and advisors that I speak to in South Africa kind of get stuck at that point. You know, my my wealthy client's son or daughter who's going to inherit has moved overseas to America, Australia, UK. How on earth can I still tap into that wealth? Yeah. But I know you also have that in the UK as well, but to a much lesser extent. Uh, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, no, absolutely. We do have it in the UK. I mean, I, I look at, again, I, I'm a case study in all my own presentations now, but at one point, my two sons I had one in the US and I had one in Australia I've now got one the um, the US one is now in Dubai so um so yeah it's absolutely prevalent um and I think it's, it's about a number of things first of all it's about partnerships isn't it so can we work and find advisors that work in, in different locations and different jurisdictions yeah um so that's kind of a starting point but also there's that point where they might come back exactly as you said, you know, they might go away for a while, come back. So we need to engage there. And, and, you know, I use my own son as an example. He's moved to Dubai. I don't know when and if he'll ever come back, but actually, you know, either, you know, my advisor or the guy that sold him the buy to let mortgage that he's also got in the UK could have said to him to stay engaged. I know you're going abroad. Do you know what happens with your money when you're offshore? And back, so, I'll help you with that. That's not back to the earlier conversation. I'm not going to make profit out of that conversation, but I'm going to engage with this person who's going to work abroad because I'm managing, you know, his, his mom's pension, as it turns out. And therefore I'm going to maybe need to speak to him at some point. Mm. So it there's still simple ways to engage just to give them some information. And I I hear lots of excuses as well. You know, we can't, we have. Um, regulation in, in the UK about contacting people you know it's called GDPR it's um uh, and it's I guess it's privacy in a way we, we can't target people necessarily but actually saying to somebody I just want to give you a bit of information is not giving them advice right and I I just think there's really soft ways of doing that introducing yourself that's all sometimes it, it takes 
So, so there are opportunities, um, but we are seeing more partnerships um, emerging because it's, it's prevalent, isn't it? We are, it's a global village, yeah. Yeah, and increasingly so. And and it's it's really interesting to hear that UK advisors, to some extent, are also battling with this trend, which has yeah. been here for some some time. Uh, but I, I've only seen very few advisor firms really implement successful partnerships across different jurisdictions. But it can be done very, you know, with, with a lot of work and effort. Uh, but it can really reap huge rewards. Oh, Gillian, uh, part of your research as well has has thrown up some really interesting. Uh, research around transfer of wealth to women. Um, mm. What what does that look like in the UK? And are <laughs> we is that an opportunity? Is it a threat? And how are people or have people even realised that that might be a thing? Yeah. Well, I think first of all we've had a big wake up call here, right? So, and 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 for the last four years I've talked about wealth transfer, and it was only about two years ago that I thought this is not necessarily just about the next generation. And that's one area that we've covered, but. Um, it started when a report kind of came over my desk that talked about the US. Now, the US often leads and everybody else is, you know, it's not dissimilar, right? But it talked about the first point of transfer being in the baby boomer generation. So happening now, so this don't wait 30 years, there is wealth transfer happening now. And I'm going to generalize here, but it's very typically in that generation from a husband to a wife, because generally, you know, we live longer. And, and that female, interestingly, um, if we thought that 65% of people leaving the advisor was a bit of a concern, 70% of widows change advisor within the first year of their partner passing away. Wow, that's, now, that's some statistic, isn't it? Yeah, now, even more interestingly, as a result of that, 60% um, of the wealth in the UK will be in the hands of women by 2025. Now, that's what nearly two years away that's not long so suddenly you think wow the wealth transfer going to all these um, these widows what does that mean so I sat back and I thought we, we need to think about this in a bit more detail because if 70% are going to go back to your question actually that could be a massive threat for some advisor businesses but hey huge opportunity for others you start to think I will hold myself out as being an expert in in giving advice to women Right. So, um, so we did the research, we spoke to lots of widows and we said, what, what, why are people behaving like this? And we kind of thought we knew the answer, but it's great to get it from the straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And they said, we were just ignored. We felt like, you know, we were non-earning um, typically. Um, and that's changing now, obviously, through the generations. But typically in that generation, you know, they stayed at home. They didn't earn the money. It was seen as the the husband's money and therefore the advisor engaged with them and they felt second-rate citizen if I could put it like that I always do this don't shoot the messenger please because this is what these women told us right and um, and he says we just we just felt we did we lacked confidence and we didn't want to interrupt the conversation but also then the conversation was if if we were involved was just all about the investment it was about growing the money and was, we just wanted to focus on protecting that wealth, passing on to our family, helping the family. Um, and we felt just misunderstood. So, um, so the challenge now for advisors is, you know, I talked earlier about do a bit of an audit about the next generation and are you engaging as the wealth going to move? My goodness, do the audit a bit differently. Are you engaging with both, with both partners and be really honest about it? 
because if not, then, then there is a problem. Interesting, it was a great piece of research that said, um, often it takes up to eight weeks before the financial advisor is informed of the death of the spouse, of the husband, right? And in between those steps, other people get in the way to offer advice to this woman, which is another reason that they move. So things like um, the search for the will, dealing with solicitors, even the funeral providers, you know, one of the largest funeral providers in the UK has an advice business. So there's lots of steps in the way where these women are effectively targeted by other people who want to give them advice. I mean, they usually, they usually tell the bank first before the advisor. Um, but don't forget the next generation because they often massively influence um, that widow, you know, at, at her probably height of vulnerability, if you could call it that. There's lots of people influencing where she's going to go and what she's going to do. So it's a real wake up call to advisors here. Wow. I mean, you know, that that's an incredible statistic. And um, and do you see do you see a, a, a real focus from advisors uh, thinking about uh, putting together propositions for women or do they need to put a proposition um, together uh, uh, for a woman? Is that, is, that, is that really a thing? I mean, do women invest differently? Do they behave differently? Do, do, does an advisor need to show up differently for a widow um, or, or even, you know, so, someone who's a, a woman who's, who's built her own wealth up? Um, what, what differences need to be put in place in an advisor firm to really help target that, that, uh, that demographic? So, well, in answer to the first part, no advisors aren't dealing with it, according to our research, right? Um, only 5% of advisors that we surveyed in November said that they had um, a proposition in place to retain or attract women. Because remember, if the 70% are leaving, they've got to go somewhere, hence the opportunity, right? And that 5% has come down from last year. So clearly, we have, we have a challenge. Um, what should they do about it? Um, it's not necessarily about having a different proposition. I think the first point is understanding these women and don't stereotype, right? You know, 50% 50, 50 of landlords in the UK are women. I don't know about you, I would, that, that feels quite high to me. I would never get that number. Um, women allegedly are more risk averse. I just think they're more risk aware, right? And the advisors who do work with women said the conversation just takes a bit longer. So I'm afraid you're going to have to spend a bit more time, but it's absolutely worth it because these women are far more prepared to pay a higher amount for an advisor that takes time with them, that they completely trust and that kind of gets them, that, that takes time to understand them. So, and there are fundamental differences. You know, I mentioned care homes earlier. In, in the UK here, women outnumber men by three to one in care. And when they get there, they're there for four times as long, right? And that's just simply, we, we live longer in poor health. And um, so there's some great opportunities in terms of giving advice. And um, what we also saw was a lot of these widows found a new lease of life, set up small businesses. So they needed some business support. And um, so again, different areas of, of being able to give them advice. But the biggest challenge is that not enough advisors are really just picking this up as a, as an opportunity or a theme. I ask, I've got some great young people that work with me here in Schroders, and I ask them to do a little bit of quick research on some advisor websites, right? So here's the horrible, here's the numbers, right? Jotted them down for you. And 
50% of the websites that they looked at had no images of women on the website. Other than within the team, I reckon that that didn't count. So we excluded them. So no women at all. Um, maybe there was the odd one, but within a family group setting, but, but no individual women. Um, so that's 50%. None of them mentioned the word women anywhere on the website, interestingly. The case studies that they had, uh, no women. Like, wow. And limited, if any, testimonials from women. Now, this is a really important point. I work with a great advisor in London who's absolutely on this. He said, my target segment, sounds a bit mercenary, is rich widows. He said, and one of the best things about rich widows is he said, they're great sources of referrals. Now, as, as women, we know we like to refer, don't we? We say, we've yeah. got a great hairdresser or the person that does my nails is really good or this is a great new shop that I've discovered. He said, women are great sources of referrals. He said, yeah. and rich, rich widows lunch with each other. He said, I don't even have to advertise my business. It's all referrals. So I guess my message is, this is a fantastic opportunity and it's happening now. So don't, don't wait the 30 years. And I don't know if, if you think that's the same in South Africa in terms of that demographic. Yeah, I think I, I think it's um, it, it's slightly different here, just but but it's definitely it is definitely a thing here, and yeah. I think when I see and I know certain advisor uh, advisor firms who really do work that uh, that female angle very very well, whether it's mm -hmm. uh, women who have got their own business, divorced women, divorced professional women, uh, or widows. You know, there are some that do it very 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 well. And it is about showing up differently. It is about having different conversations or being prepared to have different conversations, but also really thinking about actually what a woman, and I think you're so right. And I think about my own mum, you know, I know that, you know, as, as soon as, um, as soon as she's able to, because my dad's infirm, you know, she's going to be off around the world. She's going to want to definitely, you know, spend a, a fair bit of money having a good time. And why not? And, I, and, and really understanding that family picture, I think, is so important. Uh, so, so I think so I think, yeah, we have very, very similar challenges, just different nuances and different emphasis um, here in South Africa. Um, so it's really interesting to hear from you, Gillian, the challenges and what's keeping advisors up at night in the UK. I think it's not that dissimilar to the things that are keeping advisors up uh, at night in South Africa. And it's just so interesting as well to see this commonality, even to the to the US, and I know to some extent to Australia as well, you know, yeah. this commonality of, of global trends that are happening that we're all wrestling with and we're all trying to get ahead of the curve. Gillian, I can't thank you enough for your time today. Thank you very, very much for your insights, for your um, for, for, for your brilliant um, reasoning and, and really just making everything so clear, uh, but really speaking to our advisors in such a way that I think really resonates. So, so thank you very much indeed for your time today, Gillian. Um, and I wish you well, and uh, I hope you don't get too cold in the next week, and I hope it thaws <laughs> out for you. <laughs> Very soon. Thanks. Lovely to speak to you, and thanks for the opportunity. That's a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in and listening to our latest episode from our podcast, Connect the Dots. Next year, we will be bringing you the latest and greatest insights to help you and your clients navigate the world of investing more efficiently. If you don't want to miss out on our next podcast, subscribe to our channel on your streaming platform of choice. Innate is a registered trademark of Stanlib Wealth Management Pty Limited. 
an authorized financial services provider.